Thank you for listening to the Servants of Christ Jesus podcast. The following talk by Father John Ignatius is from a retreat given at Holy Name Parish in Denver, Colorado. To support the Servants of Christ Jesus, please visit scjesus.org. God is here. God is here, and it has been a great blessing to be part of some of your families, and it has been a great blessing to have your family part of my vocation and my journey. Um, I think I have at least four godchildren um, in the families here. Um, I have uh, had uh, John Haggerty lived in my basement once upon a time, and, uh, um, and uh, um, it has been a great blessing. Uh, I, I wouldn't be a priest if it wasn't for canonical dispensations through J.D. Flynn. Um, I would not be. Um, I, I wouldn't be here um, without uh, the, the the grace and the prayers of Steubenville and the years there where some of you were my residents once upon a time. Um, I think I have at least one student um, in the room that I taught Ignatian spirituality and, Igna and uh, intro to scripture too. Um, and I am just um, inspired and blessed um, to have walked with some of you before, during, and now into your vocations. And I'm blessed to be meeting some of you. And, and God is here in this generation of parents, um, this generation of spouses. Um, and uh, uh, Pope John Paul II, building on Pope Paul VI, and now uh, Benedict and Francis have, have unleashed this faith and hope and charity that is just um, really attractive and compelling along a journey that feels like exodus sometimes. I mean, from Egypt to the promised land. And, um, and sometimes in the middle of that, we're like, in the middle of this journey, I'm not there anymore, but I'm not there yet. What am I doing here? What am I doing here? And is this, is this desert, so to speak, you know, between the, between the uh, slavery and the promised land, is this where I really belong? And, and sometimes it's like, yes, this is exactly where I belong. And so, so uh, within, um, within a couple of weeks of my ordination um, that some of you were at, uh, thank you for celebrating with us, I, I was sleeping on the floor of the Eubings flat in Rome, you know, and, and uh, this is like within a couple of weeks of getting ordained, I'm, I'm like coming into St. Peter's and celebrating Mass over the tomb of St. John Paul II, and you kind of ask, what am I doing here um, at, at 45 or however old I was? It's like, what am I doing here as a priest in St. Peter's over St. John Paul II? What am I doing here? At, and then on Monday, you know, I, I, I pick up the, 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 the phone and dial the voicemail, and this is Brother Peter, and I just, Father, I just want to let you know before you get home that, that all the carrot shavings are in the garbage disposal, and, and the water's not going down the drain, and I can't get, I'm like, oh, okay. So I get home, and, and uh, instead of doing the spiritual conference that I'm supposed to do, I've got the, uh, the garbage disposal unplugged, and my hand down in there trying to pull the carrot stuff out, and it's uh, kind of coming out a little bit, but and it's like, oh, what am I doing here? And I'm like, Father Paul, would you give me the plunger, I don't know what else to do, and plunge, plunge, you know, and the water goes down a little. I'm like, oh, oh hey, I don't know how to do this, plunge, plunge. Hey, it goes down a little bit more. Brother Peter has the audacity to come and says, well, maybe you should do it this way. I'm like, maybe you shouldn't have done it this way. And I didn't say it. <laughs> I just said, mmm, and I kept playing. <laughs> 
and I kept plunging, and, and uh, it, it, somehow with this makeshift thing, you know, it, it, it all works out. And on Wednesday, you know, um, Father Paul is gone, and I arrive at the airport after dropping him at the airport again, because uh, he's off to California, my home state, again, um, off to the Pacific to do another retreat with high school students. And, uh, and, um, and I'm like, I don't want to say Mass by myself. And I text some of the guys, and some of the guys from DU come, and they bring some other guys. And uh, um, it was public, so three of the four received communion. And the guy that didn't, I heard, had been a non-practicing Catholic all during college. And uh, the homily was just all right. It was kind of off the cuff, but it was biblical and a, a little enthusiastic. And then, uh, and then at the end of Mass in front of everybody, he's like, so, so when can I go to confession? And I'm like what am I doing here? This is, this is like what I'm created for, you know? Uh, but Tuesday morning, the guys come in and like, we can't get the car started, the ignition key won't turn, and the steering wheel is locked, and, the, and I'm like, oh. So, uh, so I, if they can't do it, I'm not gonna be able to do it. So I sit down in, in the Nissan, and I put the ignition key and it won't turn, and the steering wheel's locked, and the park, it won't come out of park, and the brake has got too much pressure on it. It's not, I'm like, I don't know, and I'm flipping the key around, and I'm like, maybe there's some pressure on the transmission. Father Paul pushed the car a little bit, you know, and I'm trying to like release something here, you know, and I'm like, I'm just making it up as I go along. I'm like, oh, what, what am I doing here? Everybody's like ready to go, and we, I just drove this yesterday, and it didn't do this, and I'm like, oh, go get the other keys, you know, I'm like, why? I don't know. So key number two, like the copy of the key goes in, doesn't turn. And then key number three goes all the way in and it turns. And I'm like, really? I mean, like, what is the difference? But thank you, God, and just go to seminary, you know? And, and so, so what are we doing here are, are the high points of exactly what we're created for and sometimes exceeding what we deserve exceeding what we deserve. And then we find ourselves like, is this what I was created for? Is this what my vocation is all about? Isn't it go better to go back to Egypt where there's plenty of food instead of this wretched manna day after day? And is the promised land really out there? Or am I just kind of a, a, like a weird Catholic in the midst of a, 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 an increasingly pagan universe, you know? And it's, and it's so, um, I mean, and if it's difficult being a, a, a Catholic parent, thank you. I, sh I should just say thank you. I mean, God is already here in your families, um, but thank you. Um, thank you, thank you for withstanding so much, a culture of divorce. Um, you live in a different culture than your great-grandparents did when everybody stayed married. And now, most people don't stay married. And that's just in your environment. So you have temptations that your great-grandparents didn't have to negotiate, you know? Just trains of thought that you have to resist. But then I find in the middle of the summer, no kidding, in the middle of the summer, I'm celebrating Mass, and after scandals remote and scandals close, I was holding the Blessed Sacrament, and inside I'm like, Jesus, I will never leave you. Um, I don't know where that grace came from, but there's this, there's this upsurge of love. It's like, okay, there may be others that are breaking their word, but Jesus, I'm holding on to you. And, and husbands and wives, um, there's the reinforcement of vows, which we're going to do later on, but, uh, but it might be counter-divorce, you know, and counter-temptation. I'm never going to leave you. And that might be good practice, right? Because if there's a, if there's a flood of pro-separation like, and pro-jumping ship and pro-quitting, uh, 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 then the practice of saying your vows positively, 
but also the anti-renunciation, the renunciation, so to speak, of the opposite, I will never leave you, is a, is a blessing that I experienced in my priesthood this summer, and I kind of repeated on several occasions through the summer. And I just propose to you as a grace, because, because we really have to act against what everything is informing us and everything is intoxicating us with. But you're also in an anti-life culture, an anti-life culture. Babies are interruptions. In our culture, babies are interruptions, so you avoid it, or you abort it, or you lament that you aren't the ideal that everybody else says you must be. This is an interruption of my beautiful state somehow, as if the pregnancy isn't beautiful itself. We, women in particular, you bear this more than the husbands do. So babies are interruptions. They're interruptions of education. They're interruptions of education. They're interruptions of professional life. They're interruptions of, of whatever the society says is beautiful. It's just like life all of a sudden instead of becoming a blessing, so it becomes an interruption somehow. But I can experience that in community. I mean, is my brother who's asking me for prayer because he's having a difficult time an occasion of intimacy really or an occasion of interruption? in my project, you know, um, and, and we, need a, we need an ongoing conversion. Is this manna God's gift to feed me, or is this manna somehow like just blah, and I want to interrupt it with going back to Egypt? Uh, brothers and sisters, um, we don't journey this by ourselves, and we don't journey it with only our own heads because we are idiots. We really are. We come from dysfunctional families. We have founded dysfunctional families. There are no other kinds of families than dysfunctional families. And, 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 and so we need something outside of ourselves to keep us going. And that's, I mean, that's why in the, uh, before they get their 40 years started in the desert, there's the revelation at the top of Mount Sinai, the Torah. Israel's greatest gift, which is God's self-communication of himself and saying this way, not just your bright way, not just your philosophical way, not just your clever way, not just your educated way. My way and your way as it becomes more my way, we will journey this together. And it's not just that God stayed on the mountain and said, here's my law, but God comes down the mountain and dwells over the tabernacle and he becomes kind of a, a mobile God that will travel with his people. So we don't do it by ourselves because you have family, you have spouses, but we don't do it by ourselves because it takes three. And Israel knew that they would never make it to the promised land, probably not even five steps, unless God was here, unless God was with them, both forgiving and empowering them to do something that was not just accountable to a thing outside themselves, but to a person outside themselves. Yahweh God, whose revelation was for their life and not for death, was for blessing, not for curse. So consume this and do this and you will live. If you do this, you're kind of poisoning yourself. So, so be careful of that. And so today, um, I've been asked to speak about kind of two dimensions of kind of that relationship with God and that accountability to something outside of myself. And uh, what I've been asked to speak on is um, spousal prayer and rule of life. Spousal prayer and rule of life. 
And, um, and I realized uh, this in the first few years after I left Steubenville. So you knew I worked at Steubenville for seven years, 99 to 06. And as brother John Ignatius, the name I got in Steubenville at Vows in 2005, I moved to Denver in 2006. And most of my directees uh, found local directors, but some of them didn't. And I stayed in touch with some of my directees as they um, moved to their first jobs and, uh, and got married. And, um, and I realized that um, having lived at Steubenville, I knew that men were capable in a habitual way of living um, residential life with not just personal prayer with God, but horizontal prayer to God with other adults. And it was called household life. Now, household life is not just Franciscan. It's SPO, St. Paul Outreach. Um, it's uh, Bible studies with focus. It's people that are gathering together with, uh, with, uh, with peers to pray aloud to God, to pray aloud to God. And so I would be asking the guys, like, How, how's your prayer going? And then it occurred to me, who are you praying with anymore? Sunday Mass. That was it. Sunday Mass. After you've been in focus, after you've been a missionary, after you've been in household life, after you've had all of this, like, growth in spirituality and growth in virtue, you're going to let Sunday Mass be the only place where you pray with another peer, with another adult? And then the question, how often are you praying with your spouse? Sunday Mass. <laughs> and, and I'm like, oh, you have a sacrament, and, some, and, and the public sacrament of the church is a good celebration of all that is being built up during the week, but if we've got habits in household life, if we've got habits in Bible study, can we transfer at least some of that into the domestic household? That spouses are praying together, and it doesn't I would humbly submit that it doesn't count when you're praying just the childhood prayers, when you're just praying with the kids. Because the, your, your relationship with your children is not a sacrament. It is easier to love your children. It is easier to correct your children. It is easier for you to direct your children, to guide them. It's easier for, your, for you to be loved by your children. That is never going to be a sacramental relationship. It doesn't need as much prayer as your spousal relationship needs. So if I could beg you for one resolution going forth from here, it would be that we will, as spouses, um, take time to pray aloud together. What kind of prayer? I don't care. <laughs> Any kind of vocal prayer. In household life, in household life, every week they would gather as a Lord's Day and they would do two kinds of prayer, two basic kind, three basic kinds of prayer. One would be thanksgiving for what God has given. And the servants of Christ Jesus do this every single night. The adults around the table, or anybody around the table, um, before we do the bless us, O Lord, we give thanks for, to God for something in the day. We give thanks to God for something in the day. And it just, it's, it's easy, and it keeps, us, in, it keeps um, us grateful not only for what God has given us, but what God has given each other. So a prayer of thanksgiving, and we're going to do this in just a moment. The other thing in household life is that they reflect on the word of God out loud together. So they read the word of God, and they reflect out loud on the word of God. If you can do that as undergrads, you can do that in a focused Bible study, you can do that with your spouse, really. You read one psalm, and you reflect out loud on it. And it might take 10 minutes if you're really talkative. So... Because reading the psalm might take like two or three minutes and then a couple of minutes each to comment on a couple. You've just shared the word of God out loud together. The third thing that household life did was prayer of petition or intercession. So things that somebody needed or things that other people needed. Things that people wanted to pray for. 
And that's a blessing as well. Often that happens in the family prayer where God bless grandma and God bless grandpa and God bless mommy and God bless daddy. That's beautiful. Um, is there any time where the spouses might be doing that? Thanksgiving, shared scripture, and, uh, and intercession. Um, they are very easy, but it's very easy to get too busy for your sacrament. It's very easy to go from three to two and like leave the third in the background somewhere. Kind of like we're assuming God and we're actually being self-reliant. And my husband's self-reliance is in inadequate. My wife's self-reliance is inadequate. And it's like, oh, yes, which is why you need number three. Um, so that together we can be seeking um, the Lord and seeking his way rather than just seeking our way and, and asking God to bless us. Um, and, and Father Dave Pavanka last week, it was so good to be with some of you at St. Thomas More uh, last week um, with Father Dave Pavanka. And he said something that I've heard before, but it was really good to hear prophetically echoed. Um, it's not that we want God to bless what we're doing. We want to bless what God is doing. He's saying that about the university, his leadership at the university. But that's what I want for my community. I don't want God to bless what I'm doing or what we're doing as a community. We want to bless God's agenda. We want to bless God's mission. We want to bless God's initiative. We want to bless God's reconciliation. We want to bless God's kingdom. And we want to put all our energy behind what God is doing instead of asking God to just bless what we're doing. But how are we going to know what God is asking if we don't have that personal conversation? So before going into some additional kinds of spousal prayer, what I'd like to do is give um, everybody just a moment of silence, a moment of silence, um, because the extroverts will be ready and the introverts need this moment of silence. <laughs> um, and, and, uh, and what I want you to do is, I, is you know, you've been... Um, Let's just say that everybody's between uh, kind of the enslavement and the promised land. And you are, you are, you've made so much progress. You've made so much progress. There are things that you don't struggle with anymore, thanks be to God. You have left some seasons behind, thanks be to God. Um, you have um, actually decreased some sin in your life, thanks be to God. I mean, thanks be to God. Uh, God is here. God is already here in the progress that you've made. And we want to give thanks. We want to give thanks. So what I want you to do in a moment of silence, before you pray it aloud, is I want you to consider some way that your spouse has helped you to move through something or move out of something. Has been part, has been like an essential partner that God has given you in your own exodus. Thank you, God, for my spouse who has helped me to reduce this in my life. Thank you, God, for the spouse that has seen me through this crisis. You know, I mean, Dom and Christine kind of modeled, you know, one thing that they've moved together as a couple. But what we want to do is we want to enter into same, some thanksgiving about the spouse for helping us on this Exodus journey uh, personally. Okay, so just uh, take a moment of silence and consider, God, how have you been with me and helped me and supported me on my Exodus journey um, with, uh, with the influence of my spouse? And why don't we uh, just, for this exercise, ask the husbands to pray aloud a prayer of thanksgiving, um, softly, quietly, but audibly enough for your bride to hear. But you're addressing God. You're not thanking your wife right now. You're thanking God um, out loud for something that God has done with and through your wife um, to, uh, to bring you forward. 
And um, take a couple of minutes for that and then switch. And then the wife can pray to God. It's not thanking, it's not thanking the husband. It's thanking God uh, for the season or the recovery or the perseverance uh, that, uh, that you've received in your journey um, because of the influence of your spouse. So please go right ahead. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Um, I kind of threw away the line, you know, we all come from dysfunctional families and we're all raising dysfunctional families and uh, there's no other kind of family other than dysfunctional families. But having said that, I mean, God works. God works. And you either stay in your dysfunction or you repent. (laughs) Um, And those are the only two ways, you know. There's either an acknowledgement of it and there's a humility to work in and through it or there's a denial of it and a refusal, and I'm right, you know, and the rest of the world is wrong. And, and, and the, way, the reason that God is here is not because you are perfect or that your spouse is perfect or that your marriage is perfect. The, the reason that God continues to walk with us is the same reason God continued to walk with Israel. One, God chose them and God has chosen you. God chose them and God chooses you. But the second thing is that Israel has a choice as well, and it's to repent or not. And at the beginning of every Mass, I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, and um, through my fault, through my fault, and uh, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy. Um, but um, there's something um, in the rule of life um, in the monastic communities, um, and in some household lives, actually, um, about uh, something called chapter of faults. And... Um, and it's an amazing kind of humble admission in front of the community that I have failed. And it's, it's an objective kind of like, oh good, at least the other person acknowledges it. <laughs> because we noticed it too, you know. <laughs> and, um, and, and, and believe me, just because we pray more in religious life does not mean we don't need to repent more. In fact, we may be more aware of our sins because we pray more. And, and um, um, at some point today, I'll probably go to confession either here or with Father Paul because Saturday is my confession day. Um, because if I'm going to be a minister of mercy, I need to be asking for mercy. Um, and, it, and it occurs to me that, um, that, we, um, that we have been blessed by our spouses um, as, um, as occasions of grace, as occasions of healing, as occasions of grace and occasions of healing. But as we heard last night from Dom and Christine, we also bring um, our, our, our stuff that kind of overflows, you know, onto our spouse, our stuff that overflows. And, and it happens in religious life, too. It happens in religious life, too. Um, so, uh, so, so thank you for already uh, blessing your kids so much. And I hope some of them might choose religious life or priesthood, and maybe one of the McDevitts will become a servant of Christ Jesus. Um, but, uh, but, but, uh, but thank you already for daddy issues and mommy issues that they're going to come with that uh, I didn't cause, but I get to deal with, you know? And, and, uh, and, um, and it's part of what you bring into your marriages. And, um, you, and just accept the fact that, that this isn't for complacency. This is just reality check. 
that I'm going to give my kids everything I've got, but not everything that they need. I'm going to give my kids everything I've got, but not everything that they need. They're going to need more than these two adults to grow into saints. Uh, they're going to need somebody else to absolve them of their sins. You know, They're going to need somebody else to confirm them. They're going to need somebody else to mentor them because you only play saxophone and they want to play trumpet. You know, Or they, you, you know baseball and they want to play football. There's going to be of necessity and you're really good at accounting but your kid wants to be you know, uh, an art historian. It's like, where did that come from? I support you but I can't help you in that. You know? And, um, and so, so by definition, our finiteness, our finiteness, I mean, our sin certainly affects, but our finiteness is, um, is really humiliating sometimes in that we don't have what we wish we had to give our kids. And as a priest, I have to have a big team to form my sons because I can't do it all by myself. I send them off to Christopher West or Theology of the Body Institute, you know. I send them off to the catechetical school. They go off to seminary, you know. Um, eventually, you know, they get spiritual direction outside the community for supplementary voices, you know. And so, so just, to, just to be realistic that I've got a lot for my kids, but not everything. And I've got a lot for my spouse, but not everything. And some of the things that my spouse has ached from isn't just from before the marriage. It's from what I brought into the marriage. It's from what I brought in. And I wasn't voluntarily bringing it in. <laughs> this is just the way I've been. And now I'm being crucified to, into my conversion. <laughs> and, um, and I'm crucifying the other one into his conversion or her conversion, you know? And, and it's like, uh, brothers and sisters, as long as we are willing to one, not quit, and two, keep repenting, it's gonna work out, I promise. Even if it's a journey through some seasons of the Exodus. So, so this next prayer exercise, um, again, is to God. It's, I don't want you to apologize to your spouse. I want you to ask God to heal something that you brought into the marriage that has afflicted your spouse. We're going to take a moment of silence. God, I ask you to heal my spouse of this thing that I brought in or this uh, cross that I've imposed or this habit that I have or this... Uh, whatever, whatever's incomplete, whatever has been incomplete or is still incomplete, please heal my spouse of the effects of this that I've brought, okay? Because it's just reality. And it's so beautiful to hear, like in the chapter of faults, oh, good. Um, we're in this together. We're in this together. And God is bigger and God can do what I can't do. Um, God can heal in ways that I'm not going to be able to heal because I'm actually part of the, I'm part of the problem in some ways, but God's grace and my intercession and my sacrifices and my repentance can support the healing that my spouse needs because of what I've brought. Is that clear? Is that clear? So why don't we just take a moment again and just recall something in the past or something that's ongoing that I really want my spouse to be um, freed, healed, and relieved of that I have afflicted or I have inflicted on our relationship or on our family. Let's just take a moment. Um, and this is going to be a, a moment of intercession. Take a moment of silence uh, before we begin. All right. Um, you may um, stay in your chairs where you are. I would ask you to stay in this room, but feel free to spread out a little bit if you wish for this exercise. I'm going to take your Bible with you if you move to another seat. Um, and what I'm going to ask you to do is pray two things. One, thank you, God, for my spouse and the way they have suffered me. Everybody say that. Thank you for my spouse 
and the way they have suffered me. <laughs> okay, I uh, put they in there, obviously it's he or she. So the first is thanksgiving for the spouse, and then what you're doing is you're asking God to heal. God, please heal my spouse, or fortify my spouse, strengthen my spouse, you know, uh, for this that they're bearing from my side of the relationship, okay? And we'll take five or six minutes for this, so you can stay where you're at, or you can move to another seat. If you move to another seat, please take a, a Bible with you, okay? So go right ahead, go right ahead. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Um, brothers and sisters, this is um, reality. This is truth. This is grace. This is grace. Um, and we um, seek that amazing grace for ourselves and for one another because uh, not just, it's not just kind of like icing on the cake, it's the cake itself. It's the substance. It's what gets us from here to there. And without grace, you're trying to do a supernatural vocation on human power. And your human power is not adequate. My priesthood requires prayer and repentance it, because there's nothing in me that can turn bread into uh, the body of Christ. And holy matrimony, it's not just matrimony, it's holy matrimony, is a supernatural vocation. It is a supernatural calling. It's a supernatural goal, and you can't do it without grace. Now, the grace may be coming, but what prayer does is it acknowledges our dependence on grace. It gives thanks for grace is received. It seeks more grace to do the supernatural thing in an ongoing way. You're doing something supernatural. We need to be receptive to the supernatural and prayer is what opens us to that supernatural so that we can do what is otherwise impossible for human beings and that is holy matrimony um, and brothers and sisters you were raised in and I was raised in such a media culture that we are used to rehearsed beautiful perfected people we are used to perfected performances we are used to um, t television shows where nobody has to use the bathroom. You know, movies where nobody has to go grocery shopping, you know, unless it's to pick up somebody else. You know, it's, it's, it's not, it, there's not a, um, we, we don't see anything, even on Facebook and the social media, everything's kind of like presented in like the optimal way and then my life is not rehearsed. My life is unplugged. Uh, my life is raw and real, and the messiness, I mean, my life is more bloopers sometimes than the movie, right? I mean, I, I have more bloopers than I have, like, really rehearsed moments. And, um, and we, need to, um, we need to realize that, that God's word, God's word is living and effective, and God's word has more bloopers in it from the Israelites than it has success stories from the Israelites. And when we read the gospel about the apostles, the apostles are knuckleheads more than they get it. They really are. They are saintly, dysfunctional men. Um, and, and I don't want to disparage the saintliness, but we don't want to, 
We don't want to downplay, and the, and the Israelites and the Christians in their scriptures include the failures because that's the human condition. In union with God, we are going to fail. The question is, will we repent? Will we repent and will we um, strive against? And the only way I know how to do that is prayer, repentance, and then scripture because scripture is a word outside of me. I've got lots of words inside my head, and I wish the rest of my community agreed with all the words inside my head. But at my best, at my best, I wish my community to agree with all of the words in Scripture that I'm trying to agree with. Does that make sense? Because I can want short, short circuit it or shortcut it, just agree with my words. But if we have a word outside of ourselves that is actually a supernatural word that carries a grace and a power outside of me, then we might have a hope of moving forward together, which is why the Torah is the greatest gift that the Jews got until Jesus, which is the Torah made flesh. So this next exercise is kind of filling out those three ways of prayer. What I'd like you to do is pick one of your Bibles, um, either one of your Bibles, and, uh, and open up to Psalm 103, open up to Psalm 103. And your last kind of spiritual exercise uh, for, uh, for this session is, a, um, is kind of a, uh, a lexio, if you will. And patriarchs, you've been doing this forever. Um, but uh, what you'll do is uh, maybe the, uh, the husband can start with a prayer and read the odd verses, and the wife will read the even verses. And all we're doing is, what is God saying to me in this? What is God saying to me in this? Read all the way through the psalm. At the end of the psalm, make the sign of the cross. And then pick out something out of the psalm that is alive for you right now and share it, and then listen to your spouse as they share something from the Word of God that is alive for them, okay? So husbands, if you'll lead off with a personal prayer and do the odd verses, uh, wives, even verses, end with the sign of the cross, and then just do a little bit of sharing about the Word of God, that will be our next exercise. Go right ahead. Yes, please. Psalm 103. Psalm 103, yes. Mm -hmm. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh my soul, worship his holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul, I'll worship your holy name. Blessed be God. Um, God is here in the poignancy, in the um, uh, the, the Kleenex, uh, God is here in the, uh, the intimacy. And, and that's the gift of holy matrimony is intimacy. And it is um, certainly missionary, doing the same things together. It's raising the children together. It's cooperative together. But there's also a spiritual intimacy around the word of God and in vocal prayer with one another um, that, uh, that fortifies um, uh, um, the, the bond of holy matrimony, and it, it fortifies the, the, the celebration of the sacrament, the lived experience of the sacrament. And, um, and it's, it's, um, uh, it, it takes our eyes off of really one another and alongside one another, as Dominic and Christine were talking about last night, putting our eyes on God and our voices on God side by side. And so um, I, I cannot ask you um, enough uh, to... Uh, uh, to find um, a way for there to be 
kind of a consistency of, of, of a habit, of virtue, of, of the shared prayer between spouses um, together. It was beautiful to behold here. Um, the first one was Thanksgiving, the second one was intercession, the third one was scripture, and none of them took more than 10 minutes. In fact, most of it was less. So it, if you can do that little amount of time, you can come together spiritually. If you can, if you can just uh, uh, get offline and, and, and find each other or, or have the kids do the dishes and mom and dad are gonna go pray, you know, uh, it, when they get to that age. So, so, uh, so thanks be to God. Um, uh, spiritually speaking, and you know this, that religious communities are sometimes called religious orders because they have an order of life. They have an order of life. And uh, it begins, you know, early in the morning with some kind of either holy hour or liturgy of the, liturgy of the hours, and it continues, you know, with, uh, with mass, and then it continues with vespers, and it continues with compline. For the servants, we have midday examination and evening examination and weekly praise and worship. And, and so there's kind of like this built-in order of our day and of our week. And, um, and people that have um, idolized liberty throughout the country, um, like spontaneity, and then the Christians that are praying are like, spontaneity is great, but we need some commitments to uphold this freedom. And, um, and it's beautiful. Some of the, uh, uh, some of the uh, Protestant churches are rediscovering liturgy and the order of the, of the liturgical year. And, um, and, um, and Protestants and Catholics are, have come up with this kind of devotion to finding and establishing a rule of life. Wouldn't you know that the, that the country that, that favors liberty to the most is, is now having this renewal and kind of, we need something to be accountable. We hate law, but we want a rule of life, you know? Uh, we, 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 we love our liberties, but we also need boundaries somewhere. We need boundaries to protect. And, and uh, patriarchs, you'll forgive me for repeating myself, but, um, but when God blesses man and woman at the beginning, he says, be fruitful and multiply. You're so good, there should be more of you. Be fruitful and multiply and have dominion. Have dominion. Um, and if the first command, be fruitful and multiply, is a blessing of, of intimacy and sexuality and fertility, the second one is um, use the power and authority that God has given you to bring about a greater fruitfulness to bring about a greater fruitfulness. And so, so the yard sometimes, or the garden needs a fence to keep some things out, um, or the livestock need a fence to keep things in, and boundaries actually help to foster life. And um, you can just throw the seed everywhere, or you can put them in rows, you know, and, and, um, and one might bear more fruit than the other. And who knew that if you just leave the land, it's gonna be wild. But if you intervene and exercise dominion, it can become a garden producing great fruit. And so what God's entrustment of authority and power and dominion into the human, um, in, in, into the uh, hands and the consciences of human beings is that we would exercise the dominion for a greater fruitfulness, neither tyrannically um, as dictators, uh, nor passively and negligently, because in Genesis 3, we discover that all that's needed for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. All that's needed for chaos to resume is for men to not guard and protect. All that's needed for chaos to be reinvited in is for us to disobey the order that God has put into creation. 
And so this isn't an external kind of uh, imposition. Do not commit adultery is like an, an, an exterior blessing to say this will toxify, this will betray, this will, leave a, this will leave chaos and pain for generations. Do not steal, do not lie. Um, you becoming a more honest person is the way you're created to be. And you want truth, and so you want to give truth. Um, um, you shall not steal that you want your property respected. You want other people to respect you. Respect other people. There's just this, there's this heights of holiness in becoming like God, not as a demand or an expectation, but as a blessing and a gift. And so uh, the rule of life um, is, um, is somewhat flexible in terms of different seasons, but it's got some essential elements in it. And I would propose a kind of three essential elements to have dominion with to have dominion with. Um, obviously the first one is kind of like geographical, you know, man was entrusted with a garden. So what space are you entrusted with? And if I looked at this space, would it show me that somebody has dominion in this space? You know, what kind of dominion do you have geographically? And if you went from room to room, you know, uh, some rooms, like the playroom, might have less dominion because they're little ones, you know? Um, but some rooms, maybe mom's kitchen, you know, has more dominion in it because she's working in it constantly. And without dominion, it's hard to get anything done. Um, and so the first dominion, it seems to me, is, is kind of a, a, a dominion of space. And I'll tell you, with a group of six men living all together on, under one roof, what I have discovered that it is easier to maintain dominion than to restore dominion. It is easier to maintain dominion than restore dominion. It's really easy to let dominion go, but the bigger the mess gets, the harder the, harder the impetus and the more time it demands to actually get it going, which is why before the new guy comes into the house, everybody's room gets inspected. Because if he moves into a house where there's dominion, he will rise to the occasion and he will live into the dominion that he sees everybody else living into. Does that make sense? Um, and I'll tell you, I mean, so there was a section of the house nobody had dominion. Um, it was the classroom and the, the counter just it was, the, it was like everything got dropped there and nothing get, ever got taken. You know, you got a space in the house like that where, where things got like, like temporarily stored or long-term stored. And once it was deposited there, people didn't look at it anymore. You know, and it just kind of like grew uh, on this counter. And I'm like, all right, there's nobody else. I'm in. So, you know, things were deposited in people's rooms that they belonged to, you know. And, uh, and then the next time it's like, all right, Here's the counter. If you put anything on here, you have to have a plan of where it's going next, you know? Well, didn't you, wouldn't you know that everything ends up in people's rooms now because the counter's been clean for at least eight days now, you know? And, uh, and, the, and then there is, there's like the things, you know, Ed Lugo works for us, right? So uh, there's like, this, this, this is like the file that's for Ed, you know, the, the receipts or the correspondence or whatever. And, uh, uh, but it's easier to maintain the dominion than it is to, uh, to, uh, to restore it. And, and I'll tell you, dominion is gradual. Um, you can want an instantly perfect everything, and that's unreasonable, probably. But as you start to get dominion spatially, whether it's garage or house or yard or whatever it is, cars, oh my gosh, um, six men. And it's, communism works sometimes, but communism also doesn't work uh, because, because 
it's kind of like an abdication of personal responsibility because who owns this car? We all do. So whose responsibility is it to get the, the candy wrappers out of the car, you know, on Sundays? Dad, you know, that's what dads do, right? It's like, it's like okay, I notice it, I'm going to. But, uh, but there's, a, uh, uh, there's, this, um, there's these boundaries that sometimes people are blind to until they're pointed out, and then we're asked to enter into a kind of a common responsibility um, to take care of things. And, and I know with children, I mean, with children, there's a wide range, you know, of, of abilities to keep certain areas, you know, with, with dominion. So I wouldn't go OCD, you know, like a, like, a, like a certain mom, you know, we heard about last night, you know. Um, but, but I would say that, that there is this life-giving health when we have, when we know what we need to find and we can find it and we can enter into life because this is a life-giving space and it's not kind of this, this burdensome space. We know when the space is life-giving and when a space is burdensome. And I'll tell you, the last time I was in this space, it was beautifully done up for Father James's ordination. But when I came in last night, could you tell that there was dominion here, you know, with the art and the candles and the food and the, and the screen and the music? Um, so Cassie, well done with your team in setting up an environment that's very life-giving that's very life-giving, the, the feminine genius, really, in terms of uh, providing an environment for us to enter into. The second area of dominion is time, and none of us have enough of it, and everybody's, uh, everybody's busy. There's, there's too much to do in too little time. Welcome to adulthood, um, where the list is never finished. Um, and, um, um, but in our house, um, uh, we've got a monthly calendar on the fridge, you know, um, as a reminder to everybody where people are going to be around the country and then um, and what DU commitments we have and this marriage retreats on the calendar. But there's also for the youngest guys in the community, a daily calendar. Um, and that just helps them to know when we're starting, when we're doing prayer, when meals are, when your classes are, you know, um, uh, and then uh, um, the end of the day, Compline and examination of conscience. Um, I realize that in an adult community that looks different perhaps than a, a family, but is there a reliability or is there an insecurity when it comes to timing of things? And how do you move from insecurity to greater reliability? And when there's an exception, how does the exception get communicated with time? And then day to day, is prayer in that schedule somewhere? And, and week to week, is there, I mean, one of the commandments is you shall work six days, and the seventh day is a Sabbath holy to the Lord. Now, can we do good on the Sabbath like Jesus? Absolutely. But when is the day set aside for the Lord? Priests have to work on Sundays, so usually Saturdays, but actually yesterday ended up being a Sabbath because I was going to be here all day. Um, and um, when, when is that weekly day off? Um, I love Chick-fil-A. You've heard me say this before. I love Chick-fil-A Chick-fil-A because they're closed on Sunday. When is the Kent's family closed? You know, when are the Millers closed? When are the Politos closed? When are the Welps closed? When are we closed? There's no business and the lights don't even turn on all day long. There's no getting anything out of Chick-fil-A all day on Sunday. What is the day that people are not going to get anything out of, I mean, the family, you know, but but the outside world, we're closed to it. Not in a selfish way, but in a way that honors God, a way that honors our body's need for rest, um, a spiritual way. And then 
you know, how do we honor time liturgically? Um, some of you know that the servants have fasting seasons and feasting seasons, and then we have great feasts. And, and how do we enter into, you know, that, uh, that, those sacrificial seasons of time and those celebration seasons of time? And how do we anticipate and prepare for those? And so um, there's daily, kind of the daily schedule. And I'll tell you, um, um, when, when we get out of sync, moods get insecure sometimes. And when we get out of sync, now, um, uh, especially with men, there's just something good about the rhythm of predictability because they know where their common experiences are and they know where their individual freedom is and where they're, where, and, and they count on it. They count on it. And, um, and uh, there are consequences in our house for missing the schedule. I don't know what the schedule, what the consequences in your house are, but there are some in mine. Uh, you, you're late to prayer, you're probably kneeling for the rest of the prayer, you know. And, uh, and then I missed a commitment with Brother Thomas. I'm like, oh, oh Brother Thomas. I am so, he, he was home for a commitment that I had made. I put it on the calendar, but it got uh, squished around by some other things. And I just blanked on it. And I got home and I'm like, I'm sorry. What I'm going to do is I'm going to do the dishes for you tonight and take a cold shower in the morning. And he's like, oh, Father, that's too much. I'm like, oh, I'm the superior. I need to do too much, you know. So, so I'm, a, I'm accountable to a rule of life outside myself. They're not just doing what Father John prefers. We actually have like a rule of life that, um, that I too am accountable to. And so if I mess up too, I'm either asking for or proposing, you know, it's like I'll, we're going to live into this rule outside of ourselves. And it was such a great gift for the Israelites to have this rule outside of themselves. Um, so brothers and sisters, we want, to have, um, we want to have a rule of life perhaps for ourselves. How do we take care of, uh, how do we take care of things spatially? How do we take care of things um, temporally? And then one boundary that first world Americans are not used to is um, boundaries with consumption. Boundaries with consumption. And of course the most basic thing is like food and drink, right? Food and drink. Um, I had read, you know, uh, from several saints that the, that the communities only ate during like communal meal times. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know if we need to be snacking and grazing all day. And uh, so one new liturgical year at Advent, I'm like, uh, be prepared to eat at your meals and be prepared to stop snacking except during the Christmas and Easter seasons, you know, and on Sundays, you know. And, uh, and uh, everybody kind of like went with it except one of the guys are like, oh, how am I gonna get through, you know? Um, and then we got into it and it was just fine, you know? And, um, and, and the consumption, so the consumption of, of snacking in between, some of you know that yesterday I was like salivating all over the food over back there, but uh, didn't have any because we were on grains and water yesterday. So Fridays are a day of fasting, bread and water or grains and water. Um, and, the, and the limitation of consumption is just really, really healthy when we know what our voluntary boundaries are. Scripture does not say eat on this day and don't eat on this day. Although there are some traditions in the church of Wednesdays and Fridays. Um, um, but there's nothing in scripture that says you have to eat in a certain way or you can't eat on another day. But it does, say, but it does have in the Old Testament particularly seasons of, of, of fasting and seasons of feasting. And we let the church tell us when we're going to feast and when we're going to fast. That way it's a rule outside of me instead of me kind of like just making it up as we go along. But consumption of food isn't the only one. Alcohol. Um, we reserve some, uh, we reserve some uh, luxuries, and we consider luxuries uh, red meat, dessert, and alcohol. We reserve those for Sundays and explicit feast days where we sing the Gloria. Everybody knows when we're going to say the Gloria. Feast of St. Matthew was a couple weeks ago. 
Uh, tomorrow was supposed to be the feast of, think, of the archangels, but it got supplanted by Sunday. So we missed a feast this year, you know. Um, <laughs> uh, but Sunday itself is already a feast, you know. And so, so, um, so I guess I should say alcohol, dessert, be, uh, red meat, and, and snacking are reserved for Sundays and feast days, which means that people are looking forward to the liturgical kind of celebrations because it's a rule outside of ourselves. So consumption with food, consumption with alcohol, and then you know that media, entertainment, internet, that consumption, your grandparents could not model any of that for you because it wasn't as infused into their lives as it is in yours. And so there's not a generation of dominion with that stuff. There's not, a, there's not like a hand-me-down like boundary. We have to find what is healthy for ourselves. And what's healthy for the servants is that we have flip phones. Um, and so all, the only thing that comes into the house are phones and texts, and it better not go off during meals or during prayer, um, because that's an interruption of like, live, like present relationships. Uh, but we don't have internet at the house. We use internet at the seminary or at work, you know, and, and, and that way there's just a boundary. We, we limit our consumption for the sake of, of sanctuary, <laughs> the, the sake of sacredness, the sake of community, the sake of prayer, the sake of interacting with one another instead of interacting with and defaulting to screens and technology. So brothers and sisters, I would just propose like, for those three main areas, what are the ways that we would want to have kind of a rule of life for us? Um, in, terms of, in terms of space, and, and if you're going to keep dominion, you know, there has to be invested time to keep dominion going with space. Um, with time and schedules, um, what's life-giving? And you can, you can try something out in a probationary way and evaluate it after a month or two. You know, try something for the month of October, and then come All Saints Day, we're going to like, reevaluate and see, and see what we want to keep and work harder on and what we need to adjust. Okay. And then when it comes to consumption, there's kind of uh, uh, boundaries, which are sacrificial. But St. Ignatius says that if you actually move from luxury to moderation, that's not penance. It's just the virtue of temperance. And we're all called to practice temperance. Penance is actually when you give up something that is like suitable or appropriate. You know, it's, it's more sacrificial. Temperance is just living the kind of the virtuous, moderate way with everything that's available. So um, um, that's a lot to go through. But my main beg, my main plead, my main ask is that if any of the rest of this fruitfulness is going to come, it's going to come from your communion with the Lord personally in your own life and your communion with the Lord as a couple. Um, it's relationship, and then we get the rule of life. God calls Israel out of Egypt, and then he gives them the Torah, right? And Jesus calls the apostles, and then he gives them the Sermon on the Mount. The relationship is primary, and the rules follow, and that doesn't exempt us from finding the rules that will give life. But let your rules come out. Let your rules come out of your prayer, your relationship with God, and the scriptures, because the scriptures inform our rules in our community. And it used to inform more rules in the church, and we thought we were doing you all a favor by reducing the rules and not emphasizing the rules. Um, thank you for finding the relationship in so many movements in the church. Thank you for finding the relationship with the Lord in your parishes. Thank you for finding the relationship with the Lord with all the sacraments you've celebrated in your families. Thank you for the uh, relationship that you found in private retreats and in this retreat.
Thank you for finding the relationship. And then thank you also for discovering, sometimes by education and sometimes by trial and error, the life-giving, the life-giving boundaries that God gives us, not to oppress us, but to liberate us, to free us, and to give us greater life. May God give you dominion. May God give you dominion. May God give you a fruitfulness in your life. May God, according to the psalmist, give success to the work of your hands. May he give success to the work of your hands. 